Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from Denver, Colorado, and from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney, Dos Ah Zero. What's up, brother? I'm looking at Guillermo Ochoa. I'm asking him to change his ways and shut his mouth before he starts talking. If you want to make the world a better place, shut your mouth, Guillermo, and make a save. Woo! Wow. Did you write that or was that just off the top of your head? Off the top of my head. I've been riffing all morning. It's uh, it's one of those lovely mornings where you wake up and you think, I can't wait to do this podcast. There's going to be nothing but positivity. I saw the performance that I've been boring our tens of thousands of listeners with for months. I saw it last night in that second half, Andrew. Um, Dare I say it, by the end of the game, it was comfortable. We were pushing for a third. (laughs) Ferreira should have scored the third. Um, It was beautiful. It was a, a super performance and a night where you think... This is a team uh, that can that can do things, and this is a team that is now the dominant team in Concacaf. That's a big statement, but I don't know how it can be debated at this point. I so, uh, I think at this moment in time, our first three win series, no, the first for the three US. win series in this fixture since 1937, within a calendar year. Within a calendar year, there have been other three straight wins, but not within not within the frame of like eight months. No, it's and really between the fall and the summer, and um, they've been owned. Now, I, I, I totally agreed with what Taylor Twellman said last night was that this was the performance to mark out. This is the game that mattered. This was the game to circle, not those other two cup finals, because honestly, they could have gone the other way. Now, could this game have gone the other way in the first half, which we'll get to? Yes, it could have, but it did not. No, it certainly did not. And I to go along with what you're saying, look, I think the big takeaway from last night is that this was for this generation of U.S. soccer, these players, uh, this coach, this was the defining game of this era thus far. They've had other good wins. Obviously, the cup final wins against Mexico were incredibly memorable moments and great experiences for all these players. But this, the performance last night, the stage that it was on, the atmosphere, the meaning of the game, this was the defining game. Uh, And if you're a U.S. soccer fan, you know, I had said on the last podcast as we were previewing this game, that this is the kind of game where like, you know, we all talk about, we want good performances. We want good performances. I sold them short. I said, this is a game where this is a survive and advance game. You need three points against that. Oh, team. You, home. Were, you just you do. Were I said, I said, if we have 20% possession, but win one nil, it's a good night. I sold the them Neil, way short. The Neil Warnock came out in you, you it know, did. get the three points. However, you can do it. Andrew well, it was is, a proper football man. Not just the Neil Warnock in me, uh, but like just general, nervousness about some recent performances with this team and like knowing going into this game, what this game means to world cup qualifying to the rivalry. Um, But I sold them way short because the performance in terms of world cup qualifying was probably their best so far Uh, in terms of these three recent games against Mexico, it was definitively the best so far. And it, you know, the other thing too, like you look at the final score, if you didn't watch the game and you just looked at it, you would think that like, this is exactly how U.S. soccer would have drawn it up. Like a, a huge game against Mexico in World Cup qualifying. Dos Acero is the final score. The goal scores are Pulisic and McKinney, like the two guys that, along with Adams, 
but you know, like those are the two guys who kind of were the showpieces of this team for the last couple of years that are playing on a high stage in Europe. And uh, it was just, it was just one of those great nights for us soccer. Absolutely. It really, it really was Andrew, before we get into the, uh, the actual game itself, it's no harm to look at the numbers. Um, so the possession stats for a start. Now, We've long since, I think, come to an accommodation on this podcast that sometimes possession can talk. You can you can read dominance from possession, and then other times you can't. The game is different. Like for example, Liverpool and West Ham is a good one to to talk about in terms of Liverpool had all the possession, but West Ham dominated the game in terms of the chances they created, etc. But this game, uh, possession forty nine point two percent for the United States. I'm reading from Paul Carr's the stats man uh, on Twitter, and the possession for Mexico was fifty point eight percent. The U.S. outshot Mexico 18-8. to eight. In their previous 31 meetings since 2000, the U.S. had outshot Mexico by double gi- digits once. That was plus 11 in a 2004 friendly. So you can almost write it off because it was a friendly. Um, the XG was 2.17 to the United States um, and 0.72 to Mexico, which I, I'm not so sure about that because I thought the three chances in particular... Well, two of the chances in the first half that they created were were ones that when Tata Martina looks back, the the Chucky Lozano chance and the uh, Jesus Corona chance that when Tata Martina looks at the tape, he's going to be like, that was that was the turning point in the game for us. Because almost after the Tecatito chance, if you look at the way the U.S. grew into the game. Uh, for the last 15 minutes of the first half, the U.S. were dominant and were beginning to knock on the door. And that. That, that transferred itself in right the way through the second half. Uh, the U.S., I, I've never seen a more comfortable U.S. performance in the second half against Mexico in a competitive game ever. Never. And I've been watching them now for about seven years. Just hasn't happened. It was utterly comfortable, dominant. And the, the thing you worried about was that they weren't going to uh, score and it would finish nil-nil. That was, that was my concern. Not that uh, the U.S. were going to be beaten. Yeah, I felt similarly. Let's go through the game now. I mean, okay. I, I took a couple notes through, over the course of it of big moments. I think the thing for me that stood out early on, um, you know, the first five minutes of that game, the U.S. came out like a bat out of hell. Yeah. The press was intense. And I remember um, watching Brendan Aronson specifically. And just like, I mean, we, we've talked about players for the U.S. taking on this role of just being the designated havoc wreaker. You know, it's been Paul Areola. And last night it was Brendan Aronson. And, you know, we didn't even really talk about the lineup, but Christian Pulisic obviously didn't start in this game. And I Zach remember Stefan started in goal ahead of Matt Turner, which yes. was the other big decision. Right. Um, and I remember kind of watching this game early on and seeing the way Aronson was just like throwing himself at every Mexican player who had the ball, just an intense pressure from him. Uh, and I remember thinking, OK, this is this is clear what's happening here. Like he has he is starting this game and has been told you are going to run yourself ragged for 60 to 65 minutes. And then Christian Pulisic is going to come on for you. And I it's exactly what that. they did. And Bearhalter talked about it after the game. And it's a great strategy to just have Brendan Aronson give just like 90 minutes worth of energy condensed into like this 65, 70 minute performance to kind of soften things up for Pulisic to come on and do his thing. And it, if there were, I mean, you if could there was see a- it all night. If there was a WhatsApp between Christian Pulisic, uh, Triple G, and Thomas Tuchel, uh, when Thomas Tuchel saw that plan, he would have just put a thumbs up to it because it was great load management. Let's have the, the I hate saying it, but the younger legs. 
<laughs> when you're talking about Pulisic, who is, who is but a boy himself. But when you have the younger legs doing the running for you, doing the press and doing the heavy work. Um, but I thought, Andrew, that the, the problem for the US was, um, well, actually, let's do the positive of that early start. Mm-hmm. Mexico found it very difficult to play through our press. And I think that's an element of our game that's only developed in the last few months. I honestly don't believe that we were a very good pressing team beforehand. And it was, it was almost at the, the, the famous press conference where Greg laid out what he wanted to do. That was at the back end. Playing through the lines and through the phases was the big thing. He never really emphasized the press. And the press was really made Mexico uncomfortable. A lot of the time it went back to Ochoa and he had to dink one 25 yards and we'd win the ball again, you know. Um, and the, the flip side to that was that it was frantic and sloppy at times. How many misplaced passes? We saw Tyler Adams give, give that misplaced pass with, with put Jimenez through, and uh, it ended up in a good tracking by Walker Zimmerman, but then he got the shot away and Stefan made the save. But it was frantic, and it was uncomfortable. And if you think how Yunus Musa towards the last 15 minutes of the first half and then through the second half, got better and better and better. In the first half, he was... I, I thought he struggled with the pace of it. I thought everyone struggled with the pace of it, including Mexican players. It was really derby-style, rough and tumble, very fast, and it didn't really settle into an, a, a good pattern for a while. Um, tactically as well. Well, hold on. I, I got to stop you for one sec. said a lot of things there. And the press that you were talking about for the US, yeah. I agree. It's, it's a, it was a, used as a very effective weapon for the US in this game. They did it through large stretches of this game they did it effectively now i will stop you though to say to go so far as to say that mexico really struggled with it they did until they didn't yeah like well, the, that's way true. Me- the way mexico broke down the press like you only have to break through you know if, if it works 85 percent of the time that's great but what happens in that other 15 percent what can, can i talk be, about that can be problematic and the way mexico broke through the press to get what was their best chance of the game um when Chucky Lozano broke through and Yedlin was tracking and Stefan was called on to make his most important save of the night, that was that was kind of a clinic in how to break the press. Well, well I am. Um, you're you're right, but you're also wrong because and you're not wrong. There's no wrong, but the U.S. kind of allowed that to happen. So I was um, I was seeing what was going wrong with Walker Zimmerman. And I tweeted out that Walker Zimmerman is taking on the John Brooks role of I must win every ball, end up in midfield and leave gaps in behind going after Jimenez, who was dropping off. So I tweeted that and I saw that uh, our, our friend Danny Higginbottom uh, liked it. And so I, I looked at Danny's timeline and Danny wrote this. Zimmerman getting dragged into midfield again and a great chance through the middle, which was the one you referred to, the Lozano chance, which, by the way, it's a brilliant save from Stefan, but he really should score. If he puts that even either side of him, he's got to slot that one out. Well, Yedlin at least made it so the so Lozano really only had one choice, and that was to go for that corner. He he couldn't go across him. Right. right. So that that clearly must have helped Stefan in being able to guess where that ball was going to go. Not Um, you're right. That's that's true. That's true. But um so Danny tweeted Zimmerman getting dragged into midfield again and a great chance through the middle. Got to sort it out or Mexico will score from this scenario. And I tweet him back, it's madness, Danny. He needs to hold, he, Zimmerman, needs to hold his position and keep the shape. And Danny goes, I understand the desire to go and win the ball, but it's the space you leave behind. And Jimenez is so good at dragging centre-backs out. Um, And I said, he's got to let Adams take care of that when Jimenez drops off. And this was the point. Danny goes, the distances are so important between the centre-backs and Adams. And that didn't get sorted, I don't think, until towards the last 15, 20 minutes of the, of the first half. Now, Andrew, once it did, once that 
that avenue was closed off for Mexico. You tell me what they did. They didn't do anything. Let next to nothing. Um, now, there was the one chance on 30 minutes where Lozano goes out on the left and he clips that ball across. I heard it described as a sitter. It's not a sitter, but no. Tecatito's got a score, though, right? Or hit I mean, the target. Here's the thing. It's a, it's a wonderful Dropping chance. Ball. And it, it's a terrific ball by Lozano. What a player he is, by the way. Jeez, yeah. we probably don't talk about it enough, but man, is he good. It, it's a great ball. I get why people would say he's got a score because it's kind of him. He's got to make contact. Well, he does make contact. He just, it's not good contact and the ball goes wide. He's that pass is coming at him from what would you say? 45 yards, 25, 30 yards. And he's trying to take it on the volley. If he scores, which I get why people say he should, he's a great, he's a world-class player. He's a great player. And it's just him and the keeper. But if he scores, it's it's a it's an unbelievable goal. Like it's a highlight level goal that we'll see for a long time. If you yeah. can if you can take it on the volley from forty five yards and 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 smash one home, that's a great goal. So yeah, we you expect better from him. I mean, I was scared as that was transpiring. You could see what was happening, but like you were talking about the XG earlier, you know, I, I would that's I, a low if, XG. If I had to guess, I would say the XG on that one is probably not as high as what people might have thought it was. Yeah, and and again, I'm 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 putting together a few things and coming up with excellent player finds superb pass to other excellent player, and must score. And we know soccer doesn't work like that, right? Or rarely works like that. And right. when it does come off, you talk about it forever. But I color coded my notes, Andrew. And Ooh. after that, it's green was Mexico chances, Mexico good play. Yellow, just because it stands out. Um, yellow was all. U.S. chances and our U.S. good play. And there was a little change I noticed. And I think why, why did be- we need to know that, that it was color coded? Was that just some attempt at humble bragging to show us how hard you worked during the game? No, no, you you pillock. It's because everything's yellow from after the Lozano chance. And that denotes the, the 15 minutes towards halftime where I thought we were really, really good and really stamped our authority on the game and had good chances. And I noticed Musa came off the right onto the left. He was switching wings, but I think that was because Yedlin was under pressure down his side. Um, Yedlin would have been under pressure a couple of times um, from, from Lozano. And I think McKenney slotted across and Musa went over for a little while onto the left-hand side. And that actually worked pretty well too. I'm curious if anyone else noticed that. And um, Musa had that dribble, that little bit of a dribble chance that broke down on 34 minutes. And then, I mean, I thought you're on about difficult chances. Musa's chance then when he pops up on the right, when Robinson goes, uh, goes down the left and cuts it across. For Pepe. Like, I think he should be hitting the target there. He's coming onto it. And, um, and then the next chance that right before halftime, 40 minutes was uh, was the Musa ball, which I thought was great ball to uh, Robinson, who really, I think the defender did a good job in putting him off. But I thought that was a really, really good chance. A really like I think he should have made better contact with his head. So the the Musa one that you just referenced, Robinson down the left plays into Pepe. Pepe does really well with it in kind of a tight space and lays it off for Musa, and he blasts it you know way wide and way high. That was. That for me was the point in the game where I started to feel conflicted about how things were going. Like, cause clearly up to that point, mm. the U S things were going well, 
in terms of possession, in terms of just the pace of the game, it felt like the U.S. were largely in control. However, yeah. by the same token, up to that point in the game, the two best chances had come from Mexico, even despite the fact that it felt like the U.S. were in control. Uh, and in addition to that, when the Musa chance happened, I started to, that was kind of when I started to think the final third, the final third, it's got like, you're doing so well tonight it's in so many better. elements of this game. Press is good. You know, passing has been largely up to that point. It was pretty good, but the final third, it's not there. Like early on, Tim way, had a ball in, uh, to Ricardo Pepe that he just didn't make contact with. It was, it could have been a potentially good chance in like the four, fifth minute, I think. Oh, uh, I slashed at it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously that one that we were just talking about with Yunus Musa, um, you know, even free kick opportunities. The U.S. had a couple of them and they weren't be, weren't able to take advantage of some set piece opportunities. So I just started to think this is there's potential for this game to become really, really frustrating because you could see Mexico was finding cracks here and there to get chances. And you worry if Mexico gets too many of those, they got great players. They're going to score one eventually. And the U.S. just couldn't figure it out in the final third. Now, eventually, that storyline flipped. Mexico didn't have really any more chances of real significance the rest of the night, and the U.S. finally started to put it together in the final third, which we will talk about in discussing the second half of this game. Uh, should we go to the goals? or I guess before the goals, um, I wanted to I, ask I just, you. Again, let's just talk about the yellowness of JJ's notes from now on. <laughs> Very yellow. This was, this was a comfortable second half. But again, your frustration it was was well-founded because in the second half, there was chances. But how many of those were the crosses cut back? It's a missed opportunity. The ball slashed at half chances. You know, we didn't... Well, cre- yeah, I mean, in the end, they only looked like half chances because nope, couldn't get a foot on them. You know. Yeah, but they were good moves. And, and the U.S. were, were really... It's interesting, Andrew. Mexico fell away like dramatically. The energy level seemed to drop. They seemed to their their back line seemed to drop 10, 15 yards further. Struggled to win second balls, struggled to win tackles. US were dominant in that way. Um, in terms of the the energy levels in selection, that youthful midfield, that very youthful attack with Aronson and Pepe, like we just the average age for the US was 23. And the only reason it's 23 is because you've got a, a smattering of players who are like in their late 20s, which bumps that average up a bit. Otherwise, like, you know, you've got your Yedlins, you know, Zach Steffen's 26, Walker Zimmerman's what, 27, 28. So that pushes it up a bit. Um, but Mexico's is 28.6, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that those years, that bit of energy and those miles on the clock, I felt made a huge difference in the second half. And that's been a theme for the US throughout world cup qualifying there's been frustration in the first half and then whether it's correct use of substitutions whether it's halftime adjustments whether it's fitness level of this team which i think has a lot to do with it they have been so good in the second halves here's the breakdown of what they've done in the first halves of world cup qualifying versus second first half one goal in all of world cup qualifying so far second half 10 uh 36 shots in the first halves of games 52 in the second halves shots on goal in the second half, they have 22 shots on goal to seven in the first halves. I don't know what bear halter saying to this team at halftime, but whatever it is, it seems to be working. Uh, and that was the case again in this one. Um, now before the goals happened, obviously I, I wanted to ask you the mm-hmm. Brendan Aronson, Luis Rodriguez moment, red card. Oh, Andrew, it's a straight red. I thought so too. It's I wasn't I get- sure if, if I'm being Andrew American underpants guy, but 
to me, it's, it's, it's a red as well. Well, as we all know, you're in Denver right now. You're not wearing any underpants, but that's another story. It's, it, um, it's total red. It's a straight red. He, he gouges him. He sticks his fingers into his eyes as, as Aronson is kind of prone in a prone position. Um, the referee's at a bad angle to see it. But again, where, you know, the nonsense of CONCACAF and their reasons for not having VAR. I'm not a VAR guy. Everybody knows that. But you cannot have VAR everywhere else and not have it for this. I don't get it. I'll never get it. It's I don't care th- how many people explain to me and think they have logical explanations. I don't get it. No, and, and it doesn't make and it doesn't make sense. And the money is there to provide it for all the grounds where you think. By the way, most of the grounds I've seen so far, it's not that hard to set up a TV monitor. You know, it's just not hard. There's no there's no explanation. There there's is none. no. I, and the concat- And then I heard in the broadcast, uh, and I thought maybe I needed my ears cleaned out that there's a possibility that it comes in for, for the second half of this tournament in January. Like that they're going to do it and in, install it in January. Like the rest utter- of the world, you, you can't understand how fun CONCACAF is until you experience it and live it. The rest of the world doesn't know what's going on here. They're, they're, Con- we have this little inside joke that no one else is aware of. I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, Con- CONCACAF is run by the Bluth family. Like it's, it's the banana stand of, uh, of confederations. But the frustrating thing about the the Aronson Rodriguez incident was that in the end it it dragged two yellows out of American players. Yes, Zach Steffen ran seventy yards. Well, Zach uh, Steffen got- had nothing to do in the game. Boredom took the better of him, and he decided he'd do a uh, uh, David Hasselhoff Baywatch run. He just ran, and the minute you become the runner from deep, you are part of creating the shamazel. You're going to get a yellow. You don't have to do anything. The very act of coming that distance means you're a, you're an instigator. And so, boom, yellow. But he needed Pointless. to, I mean, I get why he did it, though. Like, he doesn't know what has been seen or what hasn't been seen. He probably saw what happened to Aronson and, and wasn't sure who else did. He needed the ref to know what happened there. So, I, like, that, I get it. Good for him. But McKinney gets one, too, and I think now he's suspended for their next game. He is. Yeah. Like So, this, this is the rivalry. These are the things that happen. Yeah. Uh, and um, but that kicked got- the U.S. on like the U.S. fed off of their anger from that moment. Uh, Pulisic comes to- on. And, and before you get to that, if you're going to S house, Andrew, you got to be ready to, to, to up your intensity. And Mexico, Mexico kept I've seen Mexico do this before against the U.S. where it actually brings more out of them and out of the crowd. Obviously, they had no support in Cincinnati compared to what they usually have when they play we'll, in the U.S. We'll talk about that. OK. Um. And secondly, I suppose that one of one of the things was that it didn't didn't lead to this charge of 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 energy from Mexico. If anything, it spurred us on. It certainly did. The goals. Here we go. The fun part. Because it's starting to get a little nervy. Like you said, you're starting to wonder this this has a little bit of nil-nil written on it, or please God, don't let Mexico suddenly squeak a chance through, you know, a misplayed pass or or counterattacking or breaking the press, whatever. But in comes our guy. Well, can I cut you off there for a second before you, you do the procession that is coming, the royal procession that's coming for Pulisic? Because the key player in all of this, all night, they're, they're thrown in, in, in the side of the Mexican team from a wide position, was Tim Weah. I agree. It's what I was going to say. They didn't get people within 20 yards of him most of the time. Now, that is a, that is a problem. I've never seen Tim Weah play with so much space. Uh, I've never seen him play so effectively in terms of getting the ball into the box. I actually think the idea now of ever playing him, unless you're in a moment of need as a central player, we should abandon that because he does much better work 
in, in a slightly more wide position or maybe even tucked in a little bit. But he was brilliant all night. And that, that ball and the timing, Andrew, he slows it down, takes a little touch, gets it out of his feet and gets the cross in. Now, you may begin the procession for the boy. Well, what I was going to say was Wea, I think, might have been my man of the match last night. Um, you know, we talked about the ball that he played in in the first half to kind of get the tone of that game started that Pepe couldn't make contact with. But it was all night. It was all night from him down the right side. And then sure enough, Pulisa comes on and he is energetic. He is all the things that we thought he would be. Makes the run across goal. And, you know, I heard Taylor Twelman talk about it that, you know, Christian Pulisic, he, he just kind of, he's a brilliant player. Like he just knows the runs to make, when to make them. Other U.S. players, Twelman mentioned there, were kind of flat-footed uh, in the box. Not Pulisic. He's moving. He knows where to be. Flashes across the face of goal. And yes, Weah plays in a perfect pass. And bang, just like that, it's 1-0. And you could, you could feel where this was headed, really, after that. And, uh, and our friend Guillermo, uh, I, I felt he, he, he's got to gamble that that way is going to get that cross in. It's not going to be a shot to the near post. If anything, at that tightness, the Mexican defender might get a block. I think Ochoa's positioning is pretty bad. He's left himself with a lot to do. If he takes maybe just two steps back and to the side, he's got a chance of making that save. The ball is so good. I don't though. think it, so. I think that's... So, uh, Two yeah. steps back, he would have been in his net. No, no, no. If you look where he starts at the front post is what I mean, Andrew. Oh, and he's, okay. If you, and you watch the way he finishes, he's coming back towards the, the, the ball. I think if he's slightly more central, he's got a hope. Maybe he's got a hope. But Maybe. it's such a good ball, and it's such a good header. And, uh, and the man in the mirror is picking the ball out of the net. So we should talk about that. If you are someone out there who doesn't think that bulletin board material is a real thing. Oh, these players, how could they be? It's us, Mexico. How could they be more pumped up for that? than you know, bulletin board stuff. That doesn't mean anything. It means everything. These guys pay attention to everything, especially in this rivalry. And what I love about this rivalry. And I think what makes this rivalry so much fun. You can tell me what you think of this. Cause you, you might have a different perspective on it. I think what makes the rivalry so intense is that. Both sides of this, both teams come at it with an inferiority complex with the other. You know, sometimes like we've seen Yankee Red Sox rivalries. Now that rivalry has changed because the Red Sox have been so good. But for 100 years, the rivalry was what it was because the Red Sox had an inferiority complex with the Yankees. And that made it feel a little bit one sided. This rivalry, U.S. and Mexico, I feel like Mexico comes at it with an inferiority complex of, oh, the big, bad U.S., most powerful country in the world. Please, this is our chance to show them they're nothing. And the U.S. come at it with a soccer inferiority complex. Oh, big, bad Mexico, they think they're better than us, that, they, you know, that they're a soccer nation and we're not. We'll show them we can play soccer. They both have this chip on their shoulder about the other one, and it makes these games so intense, and it makes bulletin board material that much more important because they love it. This Greg Bearhalter, when he saw that comment that Guillermo Ochoa made, and I, I can read it to you, he probably pumped his fist and high-fived every one of his coaches in that room because he couldn't wait to show the team what had been said. And the players bought into it. The fact that Pulisic wrote that on his shirt, you don't think stuff like that matters to these guys? In a rivalry like this, Ochoa told Tudin, uh, Mexico is the mirror in which the U.S. Wants to, see, wants to see itself and wants to copy. Now, a couple things with that comment. One, it doesn't make first of all, it's not it doesn't fully make sense. It doesn't that's fully not make how sense. A, a mirror works. <laughs> but but I think part of me understands what he's saying. Mexico has ruled CONCACAF for a while now. The US why would the why wouldn't the US want 
to emulate that. So right. there's part, part of it is that. Um, but the other part of it is, damn, that is a bold statement to make in a year where you've lost twice to this team. Yeah. Like that's not, maybe that'll come off a certain way with Mexican fans who I'm sure that comment was kind of more geared towards, but like, what is a U.S. fan who's beaten you twice this year alone supposed to think reading that comment? And what do you think players on the U.S. are going to think? And you could tell what it meant to Bearhalter talking in his press conferences leading up to this game, you know, com- uh, talking about how Mexico, you know, the U.S. doesn't clearly Mexico, we have not gained their respect. And that was, I'm sure a message that was being sent to those players all this week leading up to this game, that they don't respect you. You've beaten them twice this year, once with a B squad. They still don't respect you. Show them tonight that they need to respect you. Uh, so that message clearly, clearly resonated with the team. And I can't, I can't believe Ochoa would have said that. I can't. Uh, Jeff Carlisle uh, tweets, Tim Weah says it was him and DeAndre Yedlin who told the equipment manager to make the man in the mirror shirt for Christian Pulisic. So there was a sense that if we're going to get a goal, it's very likely Pulisic will come off the bench and do it. There is also the fact that DeAndre Yedlin is, as uh, Roy Keane would say, senior pro. So it was the senior man in the <laughs> in the setup that was that that gave his endorsement to this idea. I'd be fairly sure that Tim Weah was all over this himself, like from its inception. So, look, it's um, it's one of those things where, what was it? Um, what was it the famous uh, English bard, the wonderful poet from Leicester said, chat S get banged, which was, um, oh yeah, Sir Jamie of Vardy. That was it. <laughs> That's it. But uh, yeah, it was, it, was a lo- it was a lovely moment. Uh, just your thoughts on the second goal. Did you, watching the second goal was almost like, oh my God, it's a great finish, but these guys are like the Mexican defense was at sixes and sevens. It was all over the place. Yeah, it was. And look, it was some good build up play for the U.S. They were they were doing a nice job, courtesy of Wea, getting a lot of balls in from the right into the center. Uh, and it worked for them. McKinney got it. It was a nice layoff. And then it and then it's all about being opportunistic in the box. Like, mm. OK, it didn't didn't go the way you drew it up ping ball ping pongs around now it's at your feet he takes a great first touch to put him in position and then boy the finish i mean the second that left his foot you said up goal that's game dosa cero like uh, you could see it right away it was i loved it i loved it and good for weston mckinney and and you only felt there was only that there was there was the possibility for a third after that that's all you felt you like you didn't i was a bit uncomfortable at one nil but other than that, I, you know, once the second one goes in, you're like, okay, this is, this is just done. I, Mexico had shown me nothing in that second half. And it was going to take a lot for Tata Martino, you know, substitution, positional tweak, tactical tweak, whatever he could do. It was never going to be enough to rouse this team from its slumber. And you could see a little bit of that. I'm glad you brought up Tata Martino because he becomes an interesting figure now in Mexican soccer. Um, but like you could see sort of that desperation setting in with him when the McKinney goal happens, they pan to the sideline to Martino and he's making a handball gesture. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, so I, I, I mean, in real time, I don't know, it's hard to tell ball ping pong around. Maybe they show the replay and it's like, what are you talking, are you talking about? about? <laughs> it never left anyone's feet. And it's just like, now you're just kind of clinging to a wing and a prayer here to try to like, yeah, he, but I bring him up because, you know, he's he's a great manager and Mexico has has largely been very good under his reign. But like he's got to wear this, this three losses to your biggest rival when you 
think, and clearly that locker room thinks we're better than they are. Like he's that, that pressure will mount. That will mean something to Mexican media, the fan base, the fact that these three losses, two of them cup finals, one world cup qualifier, non-friendlies that's, that's big. Like that's a, if this were a U.S. manager, what would the podcast be about today, JJ? Oh, the Every, we'd, be, we'd be reading a steady stream of tweet after tweet after tweet of fire this man now. How was he allowed to fly back with the team after the game? Like, so what, what are they <laughs> leave, saying in Mexico? Leave him on the tarmac. Uh, he's going to be under severe pressure, is under severe pressure. There was a feeling prior to this game that he had weathered the storm. I was, um, I was delving into some of the uh, Mexican football Twitter and some, some uh, articles prior to the game. Mm-hmm. And there was a sense that qualifying had gone really well. Uh, maybe, maybe not all the performances were great, but Mexico were able to get the late goals they needed or, or were able to kick on and, and beat the teams, even in tricky and difficult games. But that's not the, uh, that's not the sense they'll have today. It's not possible that that will be the sense that Mexican people will have today because, like you said, it's in quick succession. It's the summer and the fall that in, in, in two cup finals and a massive World Cup qualifier and you've fallen short. And I, I wonder, is it just because they're midstream now that the Mexican FA won't, they won't make a decision on this. They won't, you know, they'll leave it as is and probably because they're going to qualify for the World Cup anyway, the stats are in their favor. Right. I mean, um, the U.S. are technically top of the group now. They're tied on points, but ahead on goal differential. Mexico so, so second. Is- is there a sense there's nothing to be gained from pulling the trigger? No, they're more than likely to 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 qualify and to beat the other teams uh, down the stretch. So you hold off. You don't do anything. But is it guaranteed he will be Mexican manager come Qatar in November? Which even saying those words sounds so strange. Come Qatar next November, I don't know. I wouldn't be so sure. My gut is to say, yes, he will be. Uh, but this is like if if results if they now get like a draw against a team that they think they should definitely be beating like th- this is now something that you begin to build a bit of a negative resume, and this this was a big one to have lost um, last night and, and the way they lost I mean it was again that Mexico had a couple quality chances maybe they deserved the goal uh, but that was a fairly one sided performance certainly in the second half and uh, and there wasn't much of a response from Mexico when they went down and I think that. That matters, and people will take note of that. You know the um, you know the start of, uh, and, and probably the whole theme that runs through the Sopranos is that it's not good to be coming in at something at the end. Do you think when you look at this side, this Mexican side, with some of the veterans that they have and some of the players who are ticking on towards thirty, you know, I mean, their 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 center forward who's been brilliant is just coming off a, a serious head injury. You know, yeah, he's but, trying to... but but I wouldn't look at Mexico and say that Raul Jimenez and Hector Herrera that like these guys are part of the problem. No, uh, no not not. I don't that think they... that. I think these guys are in their prime. They've got you know Lozano and and I guess I'd have to see how old Jesus Corona is. I don't. He's probably not he's, as young he's as I think he'd be. Twenty-seven. <laughs> I still look 20... at him as a young player, but he's not. He's twenty-seven. No, I think they're, they're in a team that's largely in its prime. I don't know. I feel like when you saw the, the difference, the disparity in energy levels and, and um, I mean, just, look, it wasn't like Cuauhtémoc Blanco running out there at 40. <laughs> no, and it was certainly wasn't like AARP Costa Rica. But, 
but and, and look like say someone like Alvarez in midfield he's a young really quality player yeah, top yeah. player and he's only young I'm just saying there's a lot of pieces that were heavily relied upon before that are ticking on getting older and certainly didn't have the energy in that second half last night and maybe Martino as manager probably needed to get this team maybe three or four years ago as opposed to now I don't know I'm just I'm just spitballing here just spitballing that's all that's all that's okay uh, in terms of the rest of the game, not a ton to say, except one one significant negative. Uh, Miles Robinson did accumulate two yellows. He was red carded in the 89th, 90th. And uh, so he will miss a game. Um, but Yeah, and it wasn't. I, it was one of those where you're like, did you need to make that tackle? I mean, it's one of those where you, where you can see how that might be just given as a foul and we move on but i think i, thought it, the, I didn't have a problem with him getting getting yellow do you I know thought it was right. a, i thought it was legitimate yeah, yellow it was probably about right he was being raced away from and it was cynical and it was in the attacking third yeah yeah maybe you're right maybe you're right maybe i'm clutching that straws here it was a bit a bit annoying um and then anthony robinson had that late late surging run down the left hand side where it took on everyone and yeah a lot of the people in the stands were like oh just shoot it and he cuts a lovely ball back to ferreira who hits the advertising hoarding at the back. But um, look, it w- Andrew, you're not going to catch me today. You know you know what I'm like. I, I pick holes. I, I, I see things. You're, and tough. I'm, you're I, a tough critic. I mean, yeah, but I, I've never been more uh, solid in my praise for what I saw last night and that it was just an excellent, excellent performance, team performance right throughout. Um, weathered the storm that Mexico would surely bring with those chances and then completely dominated the game. And what else do you want really? Yeah. If you're someone who is, and I'm not saying that I've seen this, like literally I have not seen anything really uh, negative about this. If you're someone out there that's wanting to be that way, I would ask you simply why, <laughs> what, what are you, what is this about? If you can't why enjoy it, but, but in fairness to American fans who are, oftentimes like you in they're tough in their criticism mm. and they, they are not one to skimp on finding the negatives. Uh, I haven't seen that. I've only seen a pretty positive message uh, coming out of this one as you would hope. And as you would expect uh, and Dosa Cero, a, a couple other things, the call from John champion. I wish I had it with me uh, ready to go. Maybe on the next podcast when we're back in studio, um, it's an all timer on the McKinney goal. He had that just locked and loaded ready to, to fire out. And it was a great call on that goal. He's a brilliant announcer. John then, champion, John champion. Yeah. What did I say? Did you say John strong? I don't think so, but oh, it's possible. I'm, so, I'm sorry. Uh, and then the other thing that needed to be mentioned, Cincinnati, Cincinnati. Yeah, oh, man. Were they good last night? They were, they, very got, good. they, they got their chance. They were awarded this game, but USF are two and seven, Andrew. So, you know, Cincinnati, the crowd in Cincinnati was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. And I heard that the anthems were amazing, absolutely amazing. And that the hair, it was the kind of stuff you remember. And it was, you know, sometimes I've certainly seen it with Ireland uh, in their pomp where the energy from the anthem bleeds into the game. And that certainly happened uh, last night. And that's important. Absolutely, it did. I mean, we talked about the first five minutes of that game. The U.S. were just, you could see it. I mean, you could just see the adrenaline coursing through those guys' veins. It was Cincinnati. You, you got your chance. You made the most of it. We will see you again soon. I am certain of it. Yeah, I think so. And, uh, and now there's going to be a, 
a lot of people in Columbus who are bristling at us saying, we could do that too if you just let us. And they're not wrong. No, and Columbus will, I mean, they have the Costa Rica game uh, or they had that. Uh, so like, yeah, Columbus is all, I don't mean to like suddenly shove them aside. Yeah, yeah, Columbus, fine. Get, get out of here. We're on to Cincinnati now. They're both great venues, but like Cincinnati, that was your chance last night to like one up Columbus, like your interstate rival. And yeah. you did it. Like, I nice mean, it was, it was, the atmosphere was incredible in that game. Nice little Belichick uh, comment there. We're on to Cincinnati. I like We're that. on to Cincinnati. That was good. Um, the other thing was uh, in the lead up to the game, there was such a kind of a, an interesting conversation about how U.S. soccer reaches out to the Latino community in America and, you know, really, really kind of brings them, you know, makes them, not, not that they're not already in some places, but, you know, really integrates them and makes them a part of, of, of what U.S. soccer is trying to do and the future and our youth programs and all that. And then on the flip side to that, how can we get away from them? How can we play a game where there won't be masses of, of Mexican fans or, or, or fans of um, different uh, Central American countries during, during big CONCACAF World Cup qualifying games? I thought that was a really interesting thing. It's like we want to embrace our, our Latin community here. They are so important and they're a vibrant constituency within U.S. soccer. But we're going to try our best to make sure. And honestly, I think the outreach program has to end for big games like that. It just has to. You have to be somewhere where you're going to be have the partisan crowd. Of course. And, you, and they're, by think, the way, they're very open about that. I mean, it's, yeah. not, it's not like it's a hidden secret, like that no. this is just a coincidence. Like they are very careful in planning where their World Cup qualifiers against Mexico are going to take place. It's, you know, Columbus had it for all those years and it, they did an amazing job in bringing out the pro-US crowd and Cincinnati was unbelievable last night. And I don't think there's any Mexican-Americans who are like upset or insulted no. by that. They totally understand that. Being football, being football people, they understand. By the way, they, not only do they understand it, I'm sure they take pride in it. The fact yeah. that the US has to like seek out places within <laughs> its own borders to play games in front of their own fans. Like it's something that Mexican Ameri Mexican fans that live in America are proud of, I'm sure. But I mean, the US, yeah. they found one. They found a spot last night in Cincinnati. It was unbelievable. The other option was the tundra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to play this on the Canadian border. <laughs> In the middle of a lake. Yep. Tonight from Billings, Montana, <laughs> the U.S. and Mexico. Uh, I don't have a ton more to say about this game. I mean, if I wanted to sit here and find negatives, maybe I could, but I don't I don't really have them. I know you. It's funny. You had mentioned Walker Zimmerman uh, earlier and being pulled out of position. Largely, oh. I actually thought that he was. In the second half, he made some huge plays for the U.S. to kind of cut down Mexican chances. He was, I thought, at least certainly in the second half. I get what you're saying about early on him maybe being problematic and trying to keep that press intact. But in the second half, I thought he was a rock for them. It, it wasn't so much keeping the press intact, Andrew. It was like following Jimenez when, he, when Jimenez dropped off. So you expect maybe an aerial combat with the, their number nine, Jimenez, but that's not really what happened. He was dropping into the middle and hit, and uh, Zimmerman was following him and you, you saw in the chances, you're like, where the, where did this gap come from that Mexico are now running through? And that was Zimmerman just coming out after, after Jimenez. And so once he stopped doing that, I thought he had an excellent game. And in terms of 1v1 defending, in terms of some of the blocks he made, he was, he was superb. I'm not criticizing. I'm, I, I I'm largely, just... I like that center back pairing. That work that works for me, Miles Robinson, Walker Zimmerman. Like I'm good moving forward with that. I th I, I think uh, based on last night's evidence, that is uh, something that works very very well. I like I like Miles Robinson anyway. I think he's 
I think his ability to cover ground, he reads the game very well and he's comfortable on the ball. And those are things you need as a modern centre-back. I, I think he's good, very good. That lineup last night for the U.S., um, Stefan yes. included, you know, he didn't have a ton of opportunities to leave his imprint on the game, but when he was called upon, he did everything he did. asked him. He had a, he, he was had a great game. Um, if everyone is healthy, how many things are different? If this is game one world cup, Qatar, how, how different would that lineup be? I think, is it only Dest Yedlin? Um, is everything else? Is that pretty well, no, much our 11? Don't forget the starting lineup doesn't have didn't have Pulisic in it, so you oh, that's yes, you're right. And and the the other one I'm wondering about, I guess right now, yes, Pulisic obviously would start, um, but like Gio Reyna is going to have to re-earn that spot back yeah, in the lineup. I, I don't think he starts in this current setup as we sit here now, and that is not a reflection on him as a footballer or him. No, as a it speaks player. to the quality of this team. There is that look. You can't. <laughs> there's only eleven spots, right? So I think. I honestly, my gut tells me that uh, that uh, Greg Berhalter wants to stick with Stefan and goal. I know he says there's very little between him and Matt Turner. I think he wants to stick with Stefan and goal. The fact that he went back to him after Turner did literally nothing wrong in his run of games mm-hmm. suggests plenty about that. DeAndre Yedlin then for Dest is the other one. That, that midfield axis of Musa, Adams, and McKenney, that triumvirate rather, that doesn't change for me. Agreed. That doesn't change. Um, one Tim one thing, not- the, the Dest the Dest Yedlin one is interesting. Um, yeah, D- Serginio Dest has done a good job. He's played really well for this team, especially in attack. Plays on a good ball. He's a threat. And the thought of him and Wea possibly on the same side is <laughs> when if they're both playing the way that they're capable of playing, the speed on the right, yeah. they're going to wreak havoc. But DeAndre Yedlin, he was called upon last night, and he was excellent, I thought, as well. Got beat once that I remember in the second half, but nothing came of it. He's got great... Um, but didn't didn't get a yellow card. They were worried about. Remember, they had Mark Clattenburg come in. Uh, Clatt- Mark Clattenburg was asked, "Do you think the next time he fouls, he'll get a yellow?" Well, he didn't. He was solid, and and if anything, I think he grew into the game. So maybe like these comes- these are the signs of growth within this team. In that, like the next man up mentality. It's not just it, you know those aren't just three words. Like they actually mean something for the U.S. now because they have this depth. They can have a true next man up mentality because like the next guy who's ready to go and fill in a spot is almost of the quality of the player starting above him. And I don't think I, I, you know, we've had our concerns about Yedlin's defensive abilities in the past, but I think since he's been at Rafa with Rafa at Newcastle and then afterwards, obviously moving on to Galatasaray, I think he's, I think he's a solid, solid defender and I, I wouldn't be concerned about him there. I think, I think the front three is your question mark. Now I think Pepe stays because he likes him as that, that center, that central striker, not because not really a center forward in the conventional sense. And then Pulisic coming in. How does that upset the Aronson way either side Wea right now has done enough, Andrew, just from last night showing alone to be a starter. That's, I agree. That's that that is. Um, and I mean, you know me. And I remember too, Wea. I mean, he it was it was went down as an own goal, but he pretty much did everything to create the goal in the previous uh, World Cup qualifier for the U.S. Uh, so he's he's been very good. And last night yeah. was the cherry on top performance for what's been a good run for him. I don't like the idea of dropping Brendan Aronson when he gives you so much energy and so much running. But if there's going to be, um, I guess, if Greg really wanted to be like fourth generation, like big, big brain Greg, then he would drop Pepe and play, uh, play a Pulisic as some kind of a false nine centrally. 
but then you're playing without a striker. Do you do you really? Because Pulisic's not going to stay there. He's going to drop off into midfield, get on the ball. Um, so I would see Aronson as the sacrificial lamb there. Unfortunately, because he's much like Tim Weah. I don't, I'm not Aronson sure. hasn't done anything to really warrant but losing not, that spot, but it's the guy ahead of him is the best player on our team. And I'm not sure that Greg, when he looks at this, would see it in such a binary fashion. I think he would look at it as a horses for courses kind of thing. Uh, and by horses for courses, I mean, if it suits him to start Pulisic, he will. But if he needs something else, he'll go in a different direction, depending on the opposition. I, that's how I feel about it. But um, uh, let me tell you, Andrew, as a Republic of Ireland supporter, we, ha- we here in the US have a wealth, a wealth of options compared to what some other countries have. So yes. um, we should cherish that. Fun night. Extremely fun night. Uh, a game that I think has really given American fans a, a significant boost uh, in a way that even the previous two wins against Mexico did not. This was, this was the one that was circled. This was the one that everybody wanted. And 2-0, Dosa Cero, couldn't have gone much better. Um, I don't have much about- more on the game, JJ. The, the U.S. have another one coming up on Tuesday um, yeah. against Jamaica. Who oh, we'll hope to keep a- it, hope to keep this going. I mean, cause like the good feelings and I think the U S do a, a pretty good job of remaining measured in the wakes of these things. They'll celebrate this one, but uh, you know, this, these good feelings could evaporate quickly if, you know, they somehow get CONCACAF and go to a team that they think they should beat and um, they're not ready for it. Now Jamaica will be disappointed. The, the roll down header denying them a 1-0 victory over El Salvador, but it should be noted that uh, Mikel Antonio took his goal extremely well in that 1-1 draw yesterday, and um, Jamaica hitting a bit more form, I guess, than they were previously. Um, so that that game, I say they're hitting form. They're not really. They'll be very disappointed with that result, but that they are a more potent team with a centre-forward like Mikel Antonio in it, and I assume he will start in Tuesday's game, uh, Canada with a big win over Costa Rica, 1-0. That leaves Canada as Andrew, the, uh, in, the well, it leaves them in third spot, but they are unbeaten in World Cup qualifying. Yeah. Three wins and four draws, 13 points, a point off Mexico and the U.S. who occupy the top two spots. Um, this just yeah. gets really good for Canada. Um and then I suppose the other game of note was Panama roaring back from being 2-0 down to beat Honduras 3-2. And um, yeah, those are the CONCACAF results. A couple final notes on this. We'll take a quick break and wrap up with a couple other things. But uh, final notes on the game. This is 16 wins in the calendar year of 2021 for the U.S. That ties a team record for the most in a single year with 2013. Um, this was also the 10th, if you were wondering, that Dos Acero scoreline that's so prevalent in this rivalry it was the 10th time the u.s has beaten mexico by that scoreline um nine of those have occurred since 2000 and jj 19 game unbeaten streak for the u.s right now on home soil second longest home unbeaten streak in u.s men's national team history during that streak uh the u.s has outscored opponents 52 to 7 with 13 shutouts um so it's it doesn't always look the way everyone wants it to look but largely this generation of players it's it's in many ways living up to a lot of the hype that was levied upon it. That night was awesome. American soccer fans enjoy it. I know I did last night. Uh, fun times. 
to be a U.S. soccer fan for sure. And they got another one on Tuesday. I love it. I love these international breaks more. Maybe Arsene Wenger's on to something, JJ. Maybe we no, do. No, he's not. The- oh, okay. No, he's definitely not. Um, I, I have a few other notes if you want to do them. Of course. Um, so England had a win. Oh, oh you mean, I thought you meant on the U.S. game. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no more on that. Okay, well, here, then we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll get to JJ's notes. I know also you want to talk about Steven Gerrard and Aston Villa. So a couple quick things to do before we get out. Uh, more caught offside still to come. Don't go anywhere. Back now, caught offside. JJ, where did you watch last night? I meant to ask you. Oh, I, I watched at home uh, with Darcy. And we just drank it all in. I didn't want to go to a bar where there would be uh, distractions. I wanted to make notes. I wanted to color code the notes. I wanted to drink it all in. I wanted to get the, the full commentary um, and, and the analysis such as it was. So, um, yeah, I watched it at home. Yeah. yeah, very nice. Yeah, we did. We wound up doing the same. The group yes. of uh, seven of us, we, we thought about the bar thing and then thought, eh, you know what, let's let's like you, let's actually really like take this one in. Yeah. And then we went out after and got after it. Oh, I bet you did. Oof, yikes. <laughs> one of those mornings, JJ, where like I haven't had one of these in a long time where you wake up, you kind of like come to and then the next thing you do is like check and check and make sure you have everything. Like one of those kind of nights, like, okay, see, my phone. Who, okay, good. There's my wallet. Like it's, it was like that. And then think, who do I need to apologize to? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So let, let's have a quick, just a quick scan out a few stories. Uh, England battered Albania at Wembley, uh, but that wasn't really the story. Uh, I think it was five nil. Yeah. Um, Kane with a hat trick. Yep. Um, and Maguire. Mm-hmm. Maguire for England with a header. And then he goes, cups his ears for some reason, and then slides on his knees into the corner flag. Really, you know, drinking in this, this lovely goal first country. And why not, would you say? Why, why, why wouldn't this be okay? Well, Roy Keane didn't like it. He didn't oh, like it man. one little bit. Yeah. Uh, Roy said, when a player scores, puts his hands to his ears, it's like he's shutting the critics up. But I think that's embarrassing. Maguire's been a disgrace to Man United. He thinks he scores there. He shuts his critics up. Embarrassing. I honestly thought it was like, it was, it was kind of sad watching it. Like he should have joy scoring for his country. I completely believe that. But the idea that this changes anything from what he's done for Manchester United, but then wait, Manchester United tweeted it out. Like from their own account, like this club is just so completely, utterly lost from every angle. They tweeted out. Uh, a picture of him scoring, like, and with his hands to his ears. So, so are United going to get, is that now two wins in six for United? They're supporting of, their guy. Oh, my God, Andrew. It's pet. Oh, I, ugh, just awful. Just awful. Let, I would have no should, problem if Chelsea last night had put something out from their account, you know, Props to, to our, our guy, Christian, hashtag USA or something like that. Chelsea aren't a steaming, boiling pile of excrement right now in the league. Wow. You, come on. Like, it, and, and the idea that there's any correlation between, you know, him scoring for, for England and, uh, and what it's happened to Man United. But that's, look, you know what? Maybe I should calm down because that's what Twitter accounts do. That's what they're for. It's all for the engagement. Guy. I, I don't have a huge problem with that. All right. Okay. Um, Thursday was a good day. The Republic of Ireland, uh, Ireland nil, Portugal nil at Lansdowne Road. Um, 
Andrew, the the fact that some people call this a Portuguese B team was was unbelievable because <laughs> in in terms of, of of squads that are loaded, they're just unbelievable. They had uh, João Felix, Bernardo Silva, uh, Renato Sanchez on the bench, on the bench, mm-hmm. just incredible. Ireland put in a brilliant performance, really really good. Uh, Pepe at 39 still showing the fires are still burning he got sent off uh right at the end for um uh, it was soft enough second yellow but he was la- he lashed out a little bit at um Callum Robinson but it was a brilliant Ireland performance and it was good to see uh, Shane Duffy and uh Seamus Coleman keep Ronaldo in in their back pocket there was no late show for Ronaldo although he nearly did it right at the end and then a good save from uh, Gavin Bazunu but um there's an iconic picture I sent you I don't know mm-hmm. if you yeah I saw you- it it's the it's the most unbelievable picture. It's it's Ronaldo jumping with Shane Duffy, while Duffy has his almost his hands around his throat, choking him in midair. It was actually very clever. He's if you saw the incident, Ronaldo wins the free kick, but Ronaldo runs across him. It just shows the levels that this guy is is playing on. He knows he's not going to get to the ball, but if he if he gets across Duffy. Duffy has to make contact with him and he'll win the free kick. Duffy's hands around his throat is to keep him from rattling into him as much as anything. Um, but it's an amazing photo. Whoever grabbed that was, uh, was doing uh, some amazing work. There's some, some pretty interesting games coming up in uh, World Cup qualifying UEFA uh, tomorrow. Um, well, there's games on today and tomorrow. I'm not going to go through all of them, but uh, if you are looking out for a game, I would suggest Spain versus Sweden on ESPN tomorrow at 245 um, that group is very, very tight. Uh, Spain and Sweden. Uh, Sweden in second on 15. Uh, Spain top on 16, both with five wins. Um, two losses for the Swedes, but that could be could be a very, very interesting game uh, in World Cup qualifying in UEFA, so I would pay attention to that. The other story, obviously, is the, the Steven Gerrard leaving Rangers uh, mid-season to join a Midlands club. Oh, it's it's the Brendan Rodgers path where <laughs> you uh, you leave a, a Glasgow giant in the middle of the season and you join a Midlands club, albeit probably the biggest club in the Midlands in the case of Aston Villa. What were your initial thoughts, Andrew? Gerard, a Premier League manager with one of the bigger clubs, historically speaking at least, in the Premier League. Good move, bad move? I think this was a natural trajectory for him. I mean, I, you know, he's gone to the Scottish Premier League, cut his teeth there with Rangers, done brilliantly. And so I, I'll say this. I was not surprised. Like, I didn't no. look at that and think, oh, wow, really? Like, to no. me, that felt it felt natural. Like, it felt like whatever coaching vacancies were going to start appearing in the Premier League, his name is going to be attached to all of them. And Villa is, a, like you said, a big club. So uh, makes sense. And, and I think that Gerard has... You know, I don't think that he was just handed this because of what his name is. I think he's gone and shown at Rangers so. that he's he knows what he's doing. He's a good manager. That championship really makes a, a big difference. He leaves Rangers in a good position. They're top of the Scottish Premier League um, with a possibility of getting into the latter stages of the Europa, Europa? Europa mm. League. Um, so, you know, I think Rangers fans are obviously very, very upset. Yes, they are. I wanted to ask you about that. Mm. Are you are you in any way surprised by? I mean, it's not just like upset. It seems like they. I don't want to go off of just a few different things that I've seen, but like, it seems like they kind of hate him. 
Well, the fact that the fact that a Rangers player, Ali McCoist, came out and was on Sky Sports. I know he didn't slam him like the the fans on Twitter did, but they they said his timing was wrong. But like, what what can he ask Villa to do? You know, wait till the end of the season. They're not going to do that. So. I understand it, Andrew, because you got to realize the way football is up there and the, the esteem with which they hope that they, they hold their clubs. And they don't right. see Aston Villa as anywhere comparable to them. Neither, neither Celtic or Rangers fans would do that. But there are, and even if you want to argue that, I don't think Villa is the club to argue that over. I mean, in terms of the world following, Glasgow Celtic are much, a much bigger club than, than Aston Villa. But um, not in terms of, the economics or which is which is the bigger league in which they play and yeah. the same goes for rangers it's um it's just it's just the pull of the premier league but they are genuinely incensed but they don't they don't see their club as inferior to anything rangers fans nor celtic fans they do not see it that way they see themselves with the with the real madrids the barcelonas the ajaxes the united's the liverpools whether they they hold that place now, in modern football, I wouldn't be so sure. Uh, Rangers are in uh, talks with former Feyenoord manager, uh, Dutch international, and former Rangers player, Giovanni van Bronckhurst. Uh, the next one is uh, Frank Lampard ruled himself out of the running for the Nards job, and now it seems as if Dean Smith will be the imminent appointment at Carr Road. Thoughts, Andrew? Uh, the managerial merry-go-round. Yeah. This is how it works. Once He's you get into the, in- into the club... You know, Dean Smith is in it now. Premier League manager did a good job, lost his job. So now he's out there vacancy. Like, you know how this stuff works. He'll probably manage 15 other teams by the time it's all said and done. Yeah, I think he's walking into a really tough situation. (laughs) You think? At Norwich, yeah. Um, But he's obviously, I I hope it's a good move for him now because like, what is what is the best that's going to happen here? They somehow stay up. He somehow rescues them. That's amazing. Uh, but it's more than likely that they'll go down. He'll be back in the championship. And I assume, I assume he'll be kept on as manager. Um, I mean, it's early to say they'll definitely go down, but it, it feels like they will. Um, if Frank I'm a Lampard, betting man, my, my money is on them going down. Certainly. Yeah, I would think so. Frank Lampard pulling himself out of the running. And apparently he, he removed himself for the running for the Newcastle job as well, which saying it's not the right time in his career. Um, which makes you wonder what is the right job for Frank Lampard? Where does he think he should be? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, it's not a question for a hangover, though. I, I really <laughs> Sorry, appreciate I, that. I and have so what, many thoughts right now. Uh, yeah, and there's uh, obviously the, the Premier League calendar for, for next year comes out. We'll talk about this in detail next week um, to accommodate the mid-season World Cup. To say it's a congested cluster of madness is is i mean i almost feel like it it will still need to change a little that more time is going to have to be built in prepping for the world cup than what has than what the premier league is kind of affording i i would think so too the the league is going to start i believe in the weekend of august 6th and it will finish in may 28th so they've kind of tinkered with the it either side but the middle part like i said the uh the central part right before they go to, uh, to play in the world cup in Qatar. Um, it's basically, you'll have a full premier league weekend on the 12th to the 13th and then on a plane and then get ready. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be playing in a world cup. 
Um, so I don't know. We'll talk more in depth about it, but um, as crazy as the midseason World Cup sounds, what were we expecting? What were we expecting? That's about all I got, my friend. I got nothing else, Andrew. I'm drained. I'm high on emotion. Fun night. God, those are the nights that you live for watching this team. All the frustration and the angst of the past few years and this rivalry. This, that's, that's what it's for. Enjoying yeah. nights like that. A little bit sorry I couldn't watch it with you, but, you know, there you go. That would have been, that would have been fun. Yeah. If the Eagles lose to the Broncos tomorrow, that'll do me. Always got to get your digs in. Yep. Always. Sad. Dosa Cero, great times. Enjoy it, U.S. fans. This was fun, JJ, to you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. See ya. Take care, my man. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 